0: If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to Mark 1 and find verse 35. As we continue to look at the early ministry of Jesus. As you turn there, I want you to pause with me for just a moment and to think with me about what we have seen so far in the book of Mark about Jesus. We have witnessed... His baptism, then his temptation. We have observed the message that he preached. Mark tells us that he preached the gospel. We've witnessed the calling of his first apostles. Following that, Mark focuses in on how people reacted to Jesus' teaching and then focused in on the authority that Jesus possessed over sickness, and over demons. It's quite a list of things, right? Yet there's something extraordinary missing in the life of Christ up to this point in the book of Mark. Something that's extremely important to His life, to His ministry. And that is prayer. His prayer life. In every one of the Gospels, we see a huge emphasis on the prayer of our Lord. At times, we see Jesus withdrawing to pray. Other times, we see Him praying all night. At times, we see Him praying publicly. And other times, we see Him teaching on prayer. Prayer is a vital point in Jesus' life. And reading through the Gospels, that becomes extremely clear. Today, Mark gives us a glimpse into the life, the prayer life of Jesus. With that glimpse, we will not only see an example of prayer, but we will be confronted. We will be challenged to give ourselves more to the practice of prayer. Going to see four things this morning, going to practice, focus in on four aspects of these verses that we'll read in just a moment. We're going to see the priority of prayer, the position of prayer, the purpose of prayer, and then we will finish up on the power of prayer. If you found Mark 1, would you read with me? And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that's Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let's pray. Our Father, as we look at these verses, as we are reminded about uh, the prayer of Christ that's found in these verses and, and the, the power that is found in it. I pray, Father, that we would clearly see how uh, Jesus made prayer a priority in his life. And that we would test ourselves to make sure that we are doing likewise as your children. And Father, if, if we uh, are not doing likewise, if we are not praying as we see in the Scripture this morning, I pray you draw us nearer to you. You convict us of that and that we would in turn, Lord, obey you. Uh, thank you, Father, again for this time. And in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. As we jump into these verses... It's important that we remember uh, about the verses that precede what we just read, because we have to connect the two. We have to remember that this is not just a set of verses that's found without context. It is instead found in the context of what we have already seen. So it's important after we see Jesus praying, uh, or it's important to, to uh, focus in on the context, because after Jesus is found praying here in these verses, he makes a very important decision, Right? As Simon Peter finds him, he says, we need to go elsewhere. We need to go somewhere else to preach. Look again at uh, verse, or go back with me to verse 32, and we're going to see the context for which this is found because it's important. We have to wonder, is he leaving this area because things were going poorly where he was at? That's certainly one reason to leave an area, right? Things are not going as you would expect them to. It's one thing for a person to leave an area when things are bad, but it's another thing entirely for a person to leave when things are going well. So which was it for Christ? Go back to verse 32. As I've already said, let's read together again the context for which this is found. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And then verse 35, the very next verse, Jesus rises early in the morning. He goes out to pray and then he decides to leave this area. Even though things were going, I would say, very well for Jesus at this point, right? I mean, we saw it last week. He amazed the people in this area. He, they were amazed at his teaching and his signs and wonders. Yet he chose to leave after spending time in prayer. What we need to see here as we approach these verses is that prayer was a catalyst that led to this decision. Prayer is what caused the rest of this section to go the way that it did and leads us to that verse 39, the way it closes out. Look at it again. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So with that in mind, as we look at what's happening with Jesus, as we think about what it means for him to withdraw to pray, let's observe what we see in the life of Christ in these verses. And the first thing that we see is that Jesus had a priority of prayer. He had a priority of prayer. And Mark is intentional in these verses at describing this moment with specific details. Look again at verse 35. Let's see what's happening in this verse. Read it again with me. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, Mark took a lot of words to simply say that Jesus prayed, right? Right? But let's not jump ahead and look at the prayer. We have to look specifically at what Mark is telling us here. He tells us that Jesus rose very early in the morning. And that description was not enough because he followed it up with, while it was still dark. And then he tells us that he went to a desolate place. He departed to a desolate place. And then he prayed. What we are witnessing in this verse is the attitude that Jesus had regarding prayer. Before we even get into how he prayed or where he prayed, we have to deal with the fact that this was a deliberate, early, isolated time for our Lord. We see that Jesus, separated from his fame, separated from his followers, got alone with the Father. It's important we realize that this was not just a one-time thing either, but a consistent mark in his life. I want to share with you a few examples. You don't have to turn there, but if you'd like to, you can. Matthew 14, 23. We jump into a story that happens or into a scene where immediately after Jesus feeds the 5,000. And we find this verse. In Matthew 14, 23, after he has fed the 5,000, we are told, and after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. This is a high point in Jesus' ministry, right? Feeding thousands of people. Some scholars believe there were as many as 10,000 or 20,000 people there because we are told in the scripture that it was 5,000 men that were fed. Didn't count women and children. Many people had flocked to Jesus and been fed by Jesus. And at the peak of this time, Jesus sent them away and withdrew to himself to pray. Separating also from the apostles, spent solitude with the Father. Again, this is not the only time we see this. In Luke 5, we jump again to the start of his ministry in a passage that really parallels what we are seeing here in the book of Mark. As Jesus' popularity is growing in Luke 5, we are told this. In Luke five fifteen and 16. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So he's growing in popularity. But we are told this in verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The way Luke words it in that verse is this is not a one-time thing. But this is a regular occurrence for our Lord. Even though many were seeking Him out, He still made prayer a priority in His daily life. We get to Luke 6. We're told about Jesus making a very important decision in Luke 6. Prior to that very important decision, we are told these words in verses 12 and 13. In these days, He, that is Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when he came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. It is clear that this type of prayer was a priority to our Lord. It was deliberate prayer, isolated prayer, consistent prayer. As we think on this, on how our Lord made this a priority in his life, I want us to reflect on our own times of prayer. Jesus deliberately rose early, before the dawn, to spend time with the Father. Do we? Jesus isolated himself from those around him, even those that were the closest to him, to spend time alone with the Father. Do we? Jesus did not pray this way just once but instead it was a consistent mark in his life and ministry. Church, I ask us this morning, can the same be said of us? It has been noted by pastors that if Jesus, being perfect and without sin, prayed this way, how much more should we pray this way in our own lives? Yet what often is the case is that this type of isolated and deliberate prayer is not a priority for us. I cannot help but think of a quote from Ian e. Bounds on prayer. Pastor Bounds lived during the Civil War, during the, that era in our nation, and here is what he said on prayer. <clears throat> prayer is not, th- I'm sorry, this is not a praying age. It is an age of great activity, of great movements, but one in which the tendency is very strong to stress the seen and material and to neglect and discount the unseen and the spiritual. Now, that was written during a... it, It sounds like it could be written in the time in which we live, right? However, it was written in the mid to late 1800s. Couldn't it be said of our day as well that this is not a praying age? It's an age of great activity. He said that then, how much more so is it true today? Yet our Lord commanded just the opposite, right? Matthew 6, 6, he said, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I want you to realize that this is a command by our Lord. The one that bled for us, the one that died in our place. He commands us to retreat in secret prayer to God. As we look at these verses, believer, we have to ask, when was the last time we followed this command in our own lives? I want to be clear on this point. Jesus does not condemn public prayer, but he does place emphasis on private prayer. Not only in his teaching, but also in his life. We see it clearly in the verses that we're looking at today. Priority, uh, one priority in the life of Christ was his prayer. And we should strive for it in our lives as well. Not only do we see this priority of prayer, but we also observe Jesus' position of prayer. So back in Mark 1, if you've turned elsewhere, let's go back to, to Mark 1. Now, we can read through these verses again, but we will take note that we do not see the physical position of Jesus in these verses. That is to say, we do not know if he was walking, standing, kneeling, falling prostrate before the Father. We do not know his physical position. But let us consider the position of his attitude. Private prayer before dawn, not witnessed or not meant to be witnessed by anyone. In other words, there is no praise of man because of this unseen act. There is no glory in this type of behavior. It's not witnessed by anyone. Jesus was not doing this for anyone else's benefit or attention. And that's important to note. No, he was doing it simply because it was the correct position. The correct position to take before the Father. Prayer, in of itself, at its core... I would call it a humble act, would you not? It should be anyway. When we think of prayer. What is prayer? Is not the act of requesting something from one more powerful than yourself. There has to be a, at least a taste of humility in that, doesn't there? Bowing before one who you believe has the authority to change your circumstances. When we think on prayer and talk on prayer, that's what we're referring to, right? There is humility in prayer. Interesting though, not all prayers are humble, are they? Jesus himself pointed out prideful prayers and urged us to avoid such practice. But this type of prayer that we are seeing here in these verses, unseen by others, and that we are urged to put into practice, this is humility on display. Even though Jesus possesses the same authority of the one to whom He prayed, we see him humbly submitting himself to the Father. And it's not just here in these verses, right? Jesus' entire physical existence, reflect resistance, existence sorry, reflects humility. We're told this in Philippians 2, where Paul tells us, "Have this mind among yourself." This humility that Paul talks about in Philippians 2 is the same humility we are seeing on display here in Mark 1 as he goes to the Lord in prayer. With that in mind, I want us to think of our own times in prayer and ask, is humility a mark of our times before the Lord? Or are we like those that Christ told us to not be like Are we praying in arrogance, thinking that God for some reason owes something to us? Or do we humbly petition our Creator, our Redeemer and King? Much of these questions can be answered based on our request to God and the things that we ask of Him. Do we come to God with a list of things as a child who sends a letter to Santa? Is that how we treat our Creator? Or is our prayers marked with praise, adoration, repentance, and humble request that God move for His glory? Those are very different ways to pray, right? right There's really no middle ground here. Either we are a people who pray arrogantly or we pray in humility. We either recognize that without Christ, we are as filthy rags, or we act as if we have something to offer, something to bring to the table. Again, I ask, what is it for you? Think of the last time you spent in prayer to God. Was it marked with humility or was it marked with pride? Let's follow the example of our Lord and bow humbly before the Father. So we've seen the priority of prayer. We have seen the position of prayer. Now let's observe the purpose of prayer. So we look at these verses. We cannot help but ask, why did Jesus pray? Or to ask it differently, what was his purpose in prayer? Now, since his prayer is not recorded in these verses, we're just told that he went out early to pray. We have to use context clues to see how his prayer changed things. Look again with me at Mark 1 and go down to verse 38. I know we've already read it, but let's read it again. After they found the Lord and said, people are looking for you, we're told verse 38, he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. We cannot divorce his time spent in prayer from what Christ does next. He bows before the Father, spends time before him before the dawn of the day, and when he is found, he presents a clear direction to his followers. He says in essence here, it's time to leave this area and go to another I must preach in other towns. And then he sums it up by saying, for that is why I came out. Jesus prays and then he moves in a different direction. Is he not at this moment aligning his work with the purpose of God? Isn't that what prayer is about? Not in this section, but others as well. Think for a moment the scripture we've already talked about in Luke 6, where Jesus prays all night and then he calls his apostles. He prays to the Father, spends sweet communion with the Father all night before he sets aside the twelve. He aligns himself with the purposes of God. Quite possibly, this is the clearest placed on display at the end of Mark. Go with me to Mark 14. Mark 14 verse 35 is where we'll read. As we jump here moments before the arrest of Christ, and we find him praying because as we have already seen, it's a priority in his life. This one though is recorded for us so that we can see His purpose in it. Go to verse 35, 14, 35, again, just moments before his arrest. And going a little further, he, that's Jesus, fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What's he doing in these verses? I mean, we can look at these verses and, and even say that Jesus didn't really want to go to the cross, right? You think he wanted that pain and suffering to bear the wrath of God in the seed of man? He didn't. Yet he bowed himself to the purpose of God. He bowed himself to the Father and the will of God. Amen. Certainly this is desperate prayer, urgent prayer but we can see how this prayer aligns with the purpose of God. He prayed, not what I will, but what you will. Let us take a note that this was not just something that he practiced, not just something we can observe in his life. It's, it's also one of his most famous teaching segments, the Lord's Prayer. Right? We, can, we know the Lord's Prayer, right? Matthew 6, verse 10, Jesus taught his followers to pray in this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught it, he practiced it. So let us ask again as we have our other two points, how often do we pray to align ourselves with the purposes of God? Again, I urge you Christian to reflect back on times you have spent in prayer to the Father and ask you this, Are you careful when you pray to submit yourself to his will? Are you careful to pray as the Lord has displayed and taught? Or instead, are you found trying to convince God of what you think is best for him to do? To our shame, how often is it the latter? That we act as if we're trying to convince God to move in our life instead of us aligning to his purpose and his will. Where we act as if we pray long enough, loud enough, correct enough that God will move in the way we want. Church, that is not biblical prayer. That's pagan prayer. On the same par with the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. You remember the story when Elijah uh, competes against them? They have two sacrifices and there's this contest that whatever God answers with fire, that is the true God. The prophets of Baal, Baal goes first. And all day long, they cry out. They dance around. They plead with Baal to answer with fire. They cut themselves. They dance like madmen. They cried for hours to a false god. And then when their time passed, Elijah simply bowed and prayed for God to glorify his name. And fire came down from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, consumed the altar and the water, water that they had poured around it. I want to remind you, church, we do not pray to change the mind of God. Instead, we pray to better align ourselves with the mind and the purpose of God. And this is exactly the type of prayers we often see recorded in Scripture. Prayers where the believer prays in lines with God's character and prays in line with His Word. One such place we see this is in the book of Acts. Would you turn with me there? Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, the churches knew they had just began to experience persecution and mild persecution for what is to come. Two of the apostles were imprisoned and then released. And as they gather together, after their release, after they told the others what had happened, the church lifts their voice in one prayer to God. Verse 24 is where we're going to start reading. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Now before we read this, remember, they're experiencing persecution for the first time. They're experiencing suffering for the first time. Threatened by the same men that crucified Jesus just months before. And here's their prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now just think of all that we've read so far in that prayer. Is there any request there? They're praying back the character of God to him. Even from the very first word where they said, Sovereign Lord. Saying, we know you're in control. We have seen it. We've witnessed it. As even you sent your Lord and they killed him. It was all a part of your plan. And then verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Here we see this picture of persecuted believers lifting their voices together and most of their prayer is spent reflecting on who God is and what he has said in his word. Again, I urge you to pause now and reflect on your previous prayers and ask, is this true for you? Is this how you pray? In line with the character of God, praying back His Word to Him. If not, then I urge you to change the way that you pray so that your prayers are more about aligning with the purpose and the will of God. Now let's turn back to Mark 1 as we move on to our final point. The power of prayer. This displayed clearly in the final verse that we read together, verse 39. Let's read it just very quickly again. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, just like we have seen previously, we cannot divorce this verse from the prayer that is found at the beginning of this section. Jesus prayed, Jesus obeyed the Father, and Jesus did mighty, mighty works. There is clearly power in correct prayer. Even in the prayer that we just read in the book of Acts, I intentionally stopped us a verse early, but I want to read to you that very next verse after they finished praying. Remember, they prayed reflecting the character of God. They prayed to align themselves with the purpose of God. They prayed for boldness. And then verse 31 of that same chapter says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. The believers, the first century church, experienced the power of God, and it was intertwined with their petition before Him. I ask you, church, is it not the same for us today? It certainly has been true historically. Throughout church history, we see movements of God paired closely with times of desperate prayer before Him. D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, noted this and said this, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Furthermore, it aligns with what we see in Scripture. It's not what we're told in John 15, 5. Jesus spoke to his apostles and he said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He says this, for apart from me you can do nothing. We're powerless apart from the power of God. Are we not? Yet how often do we act as fools thinking we can operate in this life or in the church in our own power and strength? How often do we act as if we have all we need in of ourselves? Church, let us look to the example of Christ in our verses this morning who is God in the flesh, yet relied on a continual life of prayer before the Father. As we close here, let me ask you, do you believe in the power of God in prayer? Then, it will be a priority in your life. Then we will pray with humility. Then we will be aligning ourselves with the purpose of God found in His Word. Church, let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time that we have been given to gather in Your name to turn our attention to Your Word. I pray, Father, that as we have uh, looked at these verses today, as we have uh, witnessed how Your Son prayed that we would model our lives after Him, that we would make prayer in our lives a priority, that we would align ourselves with the purpose uh, that You have laid forth in Your Word, praying in line with Your will. Father, that, that we would see Your power on display as we humbly seek Your face. I pray, Father, that you would use this time to draw us nearer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.